It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, featuring one of the many trusted recruiting, marketing, and branding experts at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. Let's start the show. Coach, welcome to an episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. Uh, my name is Dan Christensen. I am the Director of Marketing and Social Media here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. I will be guest hosting today's podcast, and I am joined by three other members of our TCS staff. Uh, Mandy Green is here. She is our vice president, and she is a former college soccer coach. She's also the president of Busy Coach, where she works with hundreds of college coaches to help them with their time management and help them improve their productivity when it comes to being a college coach in the day-to-day life. Um, Mike DeVilbus is here. He's the Western Region Recruiting Coordinator at TCS. He's a former college basketball coach, 30 years in women's college basketball at different levels, different positions. Uh, And then Paul Nimitz Carlson is also joining us. He is the Director of Client Success here at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. He is a former college hockey coach, um, also with lots of experience at different levels, different positions, director of operations, head coach, anywhere in between. And so we're going to have a, a great conversation today with the four of us. What we're going to be talking about is a question that we posted on our uh, a poll that we had on our college recruiting weekly newsletter a few weeks ago. Um, if you don't subscribe to the newsletter, if you don't get that every Tuesday morning, just go to dantutor.com. At the very top, you can subscribe. Super easy. Every week we'll send out uh, a lot of different resources, articles, videos, lots of stuff to help you uh, become a better recruiter. So make sure you're doing that. The poll question was, how would you describe your focus in recruiting? And we gave coaches four different options, and that kind of covered roughly the range of you know where coaches could be focused. And so we're going to go through those four different options today and kind of talk about if you are in this area, this is what you're focusing on right now. Here's how you can be you know doing a better job at that and some things that will help you uh, throughout that. So the very first option that we gave coaches, and we ended up having 32% of our responses uh, choose this, was we're focused on numbers. Quality isn't uh, you know really much of a factor right now. We're just trying to meet our admissions goals, fill our rosters. That is the focus. Um, and, you know, jumping ahead of myself a little bit, option two was similar numbers, but we'll, you know, we'll just take anybody. We're still looking for some quality. But when you combine these two, we're looking at 75% of coaches that responded to this really focused on numbers. That's a really important factor into what they're doing in recruiting right now. And so I want to ask you guys, like, how are you seeing this? You know, is this a change that you've seen over the recent years where it's been more of a focus and how are coaches that you guys interact with and work with, how are they responding to this and how are they, um, you know, feeling about this focus that a lot of them do have? You know, I think for for me, just thinking about how, how this works, um, a, a lot of coaches, just come to us specifically because it is a numbers challenge, right? I, I think they're getting pressure from uh, their administration, pressure from their admissions office, pressure from the sort of upper level enrollment management people to help athletics drive uh, their enrollment numbers. And so we get a lot of people who come to us looking looking for help to try to kind of create that numbers. Um, in saying that, uh, digging deeper into those conversations with coaches, that the majority of those coaches who are searching for numbers are, are also a little bit frustrated that that's where they are and what they're looking for. They, they, they want to be aspirational. They want to think beyond that. They want, want to recruit specific positions, more quality athletes and, and looking to try to redefine what are, what is their strategy? What are the tactics they use? What are the ways that they're going to get those better athletes? And so, well, numbers is sort of the bottom feeding of this. Um, you know, anyone who's confidently saying, Hey, I'm just looking for numbers or, or comfortable saying they're looking for numbers. Truthfully, 
want something more. Um, and, and I think that's the idea of how to kind of create and develop those uh, those skills to really bring in and recruit above your station. I would agree. I mean, a lot of the coaches that I get to talk to are, and even a lot of athletic directors that I've talked to recently, the message to their coaches is I get, these are your numbers that we need, but this year, can you get one or two more on top of what we're normally asking you? Please. You know, it is the the pressure to keep these schools open and the pressure to bring in revenue. Uh, I think more than ever, coaches are feeling the feeling the heat for for some of those things and you know where I think it puts coaches in a really bad position is you only got so many jerseys and uniforms and you only got so many lockers and you only got so many of you know some so many of those things and I would say you know to what Paul is saying yeah I mean which coach doesn't you know isn't coaching so much easier when we have great athletes on our team but and I think the only reason a lot of coaches are recruiting the the numbers is is because they're getting the the pressure by their administration to to add the bodies well i think the other thing you're seeing and that becomes highly necessary because i saw there was a coach i don't know if it was gino or someone else the other day that was talking about the portal you know and this generation of younger coaches uh i think it, they expect kids to move on they expect people to leave their program. It's becoming more and more of an expectation all the time. Whereas I think, you know, not long ago, you know, when kids left your program, that, that was seen as a problem. What What's going on here? You know, for me personally, as a coach, when kids would leave the program, uh, I was, that was hard. I didn't like that. And, and I think it made you take a look at what are we doing to develop relationships? And I think that norm is moving. That, that norm's moved on. I think we expect kids, coaches nowadays expect kids to move. They're gone. And and so I think you constantly are having to, to build your roster year after year after year. You are constantly recruiting nowadays. It never ends because that's become the norm. I think so, not just from a number standpoint, but also from – um retention isn't the same as it used to be it it's changed a ton so i think you you are constantly in recruiting mode what, what do you guys see as some mistakes that some of these coaches make when they're in this like you know like mandy said they really they want to get those you know better athletes but they're just there's so much pressure to get the numbers um what are some mistakes that they're making that are just kind of keeping them maybe in that, you know, that cycle of, all right, we're just, we need more numbers, but then the next year we're going to need more numbers and we're not hitting it. And what are some of the mistakes these coaches are, are making that are causing this? I think it's a recruiting loop. I mean, I think, I think there is a real thing about the recruiting loop. Hey, we want, we want to get better players, um, you know, so we can win more and then we can't win more until we get, you know, or we can't get better players until we win more. Right. Like I think that kind of constant cycle of, of, is always kind of going back to how you're perceived, right? Like, and so, so sometimes coaches start with how are we perceived? If you're perceived as a school that is just recruiting based on numbers and will take anyone, and and, and that could be uh, a prospect's understanding of other peers who are going there, other competitors who are going there, other people they're familiar with going there. They evaluate your program based on what they know, right? Like, and, and their familiarity. And so one of the problems when you talk about, hey, we're just trying to drive numbers, is you become a program that doesn't take athletics seriously or doesn't isn't perceived as an, a serious athletic program. Um, you know, and I think 
by being something that is a both desirable and, and be exclusive or selective, um, I think you can definitely improve your approach to not just be numbers, but we switch from sort of anybody to a big number with some selectivity, right? Some purpose of who, who we get. I mean, I see a bunch of mistakes being made, but I mean, a few besides what Paul just mentioned, I do think that, you know, I mean, coaches, we, we, we are talking to these better athletes and I find uh, the coaches are making mistakes because maybe they're at a, you know, NAIA division JUCO or even a, a division three school and they feel like they need to wait to ask or they don't want to put the pressure on them to make decisions because they think they might lose the kid. And I think that is a mistake um, for, for a lot of reasons, which is probably another podcast, right? But I think uh, also, you know, I hear a lot of coaches, yes, we need the numbers. Um, so we get them to a point and it's like, all right, we just got to sit and wait for financial aid. So waiting, right? Waiting is the thing that I feel like is the mistake. We're waiting to ask the better kids. So you know, we lose those kids or we're waiting for for families to get their financial aid information when to me and all the coaches that I work with. And if any coaches on here that I work with, they'll be like, yep, Mandy is stressing that all the time is we got to put our foot on the gas and we got to be proactive about setting up individual calls with parents. And we got to set, you know, because um, this is where I mean, whether you need numbers at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year, you know, coaches tend to wait because we don't want to, you know, again, feel like we're putting pressure on them. And to me, I'm like, if I got to get the numbers, I'm going to be direct and I'm going to go after them and I'm going to give them all the things that they need. I'm going to keep them as connected to the team as they possibly can get. I'm going to have conversations with the parents. I'm going to do all that stuff and I'm going to ask for a commitment instead of just offering and I'm, if I got to get the numbers, I'm going to get the best kids I can while the talent pool is is strong versus waiting. And then, you know, the longer I wait, the more desperate I get. And, you know, and then the talent pool isn't as good. So that's where, to me, that's the, the loop. The loop that I never want to be in is waiting too long and getting, you know, lower talented kids that to me, they're, they're still available for a reason. Right. And that's maybe rude to say on a podcast, but I think, right, there's there's something about them that made it so other coaches don't want them. I'm going to go after the, the kids that I want sooner. And and then it's getting you're going to get more talented kid. Like Paul said earlier, you're establishing status when you're going after kids earlier and, and being more direct and more a little more aggressive with them. But I don't know. There's waiting too much waiting, I think, is is a mistake coaches are making right now. DC, before I answer your question, I, I want to ask Mandy a question. I've been doing this pyramid of recruiting success on the Tuesday newsletters. And how much of that do you think, Mandy, is I agree with you completely, but how much of that do you think is due to lack of self-belief in coaches in our program? Like I can't get this kid or that kid, or they're a little above my station, uh, or whatever it is, the self-talk that we have or lack of self-belief. How much of that waiting do you think is because of that? Oh, it's certainly uh, with with a lot of them, certainly whether it's they don't believe in what they're selling with their school. A lot of coaches don't believe that it's even worth it based on what they feel like that their school has or doesn't have. Mm -hmm. They don't believe it's worth the cost. I've heard that a few times, many times lately. Uh, but to me, when they don't believe it, you know, they approach it differently. They talk about it with a different type of energy and 
you know, if they're thinking they can get away with not believing or they, they believe, right, I can't even afford to go to my own school because of my salary. Um, how do I talk a family into, you know, they're coming at it with that disbelief that I think is a big mistake. Because uh, it's, you know, it is, it's like, I, I've had that situation where I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot to sell at a few of the schools that I was at, but I believed in my ability to provide a great experience and my coaching and all the things. That's what I was selling. I didn't have anything else. And we got kids we had no business getting, but you got to believe. And, you know, I hate the fake until you make it, but it's like you got to fake it until you believe it. And it becomes part of what you're saying, because if you don't believe it, no way a family is going to believe it. Yeah. That's well said. I really believe that. I think the law of attraction too, right? You said it a second ago, the energy that you've got. You know, if you don't believe your program's the absolute best place for that kid, you're not getting them. You've got to believe in your heart and soul. I think that's that's critical to being a great recruiter. Your heart and soul has to completely believe, okay, we might not have this and this and this, but we got this, 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 and this. And you got to feel that. Because the whole thing in recruiting and answering those two questions, why should I choose you and why are you better than the other people that are are recruiting me? If you don't feel it, it ain't happening. But I, I think the second piece of that, so I'm not just tailing off on Mandy's question, I think the other piece is just that consistent, consistent communication. We we know the number one thing that attracts kids is who wants me more than everybody else. Your job in a recruiting process is to show them that you want them more than everybody else. The number one way you do that is by staying extremely consistent in your messaging, your communication. What's a 17-year-old kid think when you tell them you're going to recruit him and then all of a sudden, and you recruit him for two, three months in the summer, really consistently, and you stay on it. And then all of a sudden, school starts, team gets there, you want to take care of your team, all of a sudden your messaging, your communication drops off to your 17-year-old recruits. What do they think when they haven't heard from you for three weeks after hearing from you solid for two months? They think you went somewhere else. I think that's a big, that's a really big mistake as well as the two things that Paul and Mandy said. I think it's it's that consistent communication. We're never going away. We believe in what we're selling, what who we are, what we're selling, because I'm selling me. As a as a coach, I'm selling me. If I don't believe in me, who the heck's gonna? And I think those those things are are big pieces. I think, the and I think that's the oh, piece. Oh, sorry. I, I just wanted to add something specifically. Like you know, one of the things that just all of this kind of comes back to is like how you learn to recruit. And so when we talk about mistakes, like you know, we're talking about people who are doing it the wrong way, or or people who are who haven't kind of found their own voice. You know, and. I just think about myself as a young coach and, and how someone was trying to teach me was this is what the admissions office is doing. Copy it. Right. Like, and, and I think what we're teaching coaches, what we're continuing to talk about, what we continue to find is that the athletic recruiting process is different than the admissions process. Right. And it isn't just taking this huge pile of numbers that are coming in who have some sort of interest and then trying to manage them through the process, right? It's you, you are selling a vision, you're selling yourself, you're selling your program, you're selling what you like about that institution, even if, as Mike and Mandy said, you, you don't love everything about it, whether it's your job or whether it's sort of the, the institution, you, you know that you can provide within your program a great experience that is worthwhile and is valuable to that individual you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, no, I was going to say, I think that the timeline thing is important because 
I don't remember the exact number, but I know Jeremy Tears um, with admissions, they did a, a survey about like when kids start the process. And I think it was something like 99% of kids have started looking at schools before the summer going into their senior year. So, you know, May, June uh, of their junior year, almost every kid has already started looking at schools. And I know there's some coaches out there that it's hard to be able to look ahead, but so they start in the summer or even the fall working on that senior class. And by then so many kids, a lot of kids have already committed. Um, but also there's a lot of kids that they're just so far along with other coaches that started earlier that you're not going to get the response. They're not going to be interested in starting over with a new coach. If you're the 10th, 20th, 30th coach to reach out, um, it's really hard to get in. And so even though it can be hard to manage, because I know a lot of these you know coaches out there, they're by yourself. You don't have an assistant. You don't have a grad assistant. You don't have any help. And you're managing a lot. The earlier you can start, the better, because it just gets you in in the door earlier and allows you to kind of set the tone for, hey, here's how we're different. And then all of the, all the other coaches can come in later and, and do their thing, but they're going to want to stick with you because you started earlier. Um, I think that's important for, for coaches to know. Um, on that note, too, like of, you know, because I think especially for a lot of these programs that are really focused on numbers, they've got big recruiting pools. You know, certain sports are probably way bigger than others, but there's a lot to manage. There's a lot of recruits that they have on their list that they've seen or they've found online or that they've have reached out to them. And what are some some tips for just kind of managing and prioritizing their recruiting pools when they still, you know, they do need to focus on numbers, but it, it almost feels just too overwhelming because there's so many names to deal with. Go ahead, Paul. I just think, you know, Mandy eventually is going to talk about automation um, and just how, how to how to figure out how to let some things happen where you're not sitting down and writing an individual four-page email or four-page letter to every thousand kids you're recruiting, right? Like that's the overwhelming thing that just creates procrastination and stops people in the process. Um, the other thing, you know, just in terms of that, I, I just keep thinking about as you talk about where they find people, I talk to so many coaches who are recruiting the same people as the next coach I talk to 20 minutes later, especially in the same sport, right? They, they have the same source of, of prospects, whether it's a website or whether it's a, the same two tournaments that they go to. The ability to create unique prospects, I think, is one thing that can help, you know, as we talk through this, make it better, um, Make, make your story stand out, make your story uh, unique because you're telling it to a different person. No, and I certainly, am, I mean, I get that question a lot, right? As I'm recruiting a lot of kids, how do I manage all of them? And I mean, there's certainly a, a place to start from is how many is too many, you know, is I know that's something Dan Tudor talks a lot about. And I talk a lot about when we're doing workshops is, you know, that is a, a secret to some of the best programs in the country is they have identified a target number and then they're ruthless about managing that number and only that number. And as soon as somebody might come off the list because they're pretty, they're looking for no's as soon as possible and they have a filtering system, but they only add new ones when one comes off, right? So if you're short on staff, would it make sense for you to you know, have a set number that you can manage. But like Paul mentioned, right? I mean, there is certainly the automation versus customization. I mean, certainly customizing, you know, handwritten or whatever personalized notes to every single recruit is best. But if you don't have the man or the woman power to do that, there is a place to customize and there is a place to automate. And, 
you got to figure out what, you know, based on what you need. And then the last thing I'll say, right, to manage a big one is you got to, I mean, I'm all about Parkinson's law, right? And Parkinson's law is work expands to the time you give it. And so for you, coach that's listening, when is the, when do you want to wrap up your recruiting and how many months does that give you? And then you got to commit to how many emails, how many phone calls, how many text messages, right? Each month are you sending? And then, I mean, there's different ways to simplify the content and going out, but you know, and this is what we do with clients, right? As we simplify the message. Uh, but then it's, you know, so just so you know how many chances, how many pieces of content you need to create. Cause I think if you, you compartmentalize it a little bit, but you, you can make it feel more manageable when you know, you know, you've got boundaries to this and you're communicating to recruits. We've got boundaries to this. Um, you can organize the contents to, so you are in a position to lead instead of just randomly throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping something sticks. So it's just getting a little more organized with it, um, can make it feel not so overwhelming. Coach, did you know that Tudor Collegiate Strategies works with over 750 coaching staffs from all division levels, all sports, from all over the country? It's true. We help them create, manage, and execute their recruiting message for the prospects they really need. And we can do the same for you. Email us at dan at dantutor.com so we can explain how it works. Let's talk, Coach. And now, back to the show. Well, I agree with all that. I think at some point, though, the list, the list has to move to relationship, you know, somewhere along the recruiting line with the funnel, the, I mean, it's got to narrow down to building that relationship with the kids. You know, I mean, it's not a funnel anymore. It's not this big mega list. It's I'm coming to run for you or I'm coming to play for you. And I think that's, 95% 95% of the kids that pick a school pick because of, you know, that the relationship that's built, that trust you build in the relationship uh, of recruiting. You know, I think uh, transactional, you know, there's some sports that are more transactional in a recruiting process than others, but I still think somewhere along the line, the relationship is what gets you over the top. And I agree completely with the Dan Tudor philosophy and what Mandy was just talking about, about having too big a list. You you can have way too big a list, you know, Um, that consistent communication gets you to a point and then it's got to be your ability to connect. How do I connect with 30 kids? You know, I know I have got a division two track program I work with that has to have 45 girls on their roster and 45 guys every year. Well, maybe they're replacing 15 or 20 a year. You have to be able to connect with that many kids. You just do. And, um, you know, some kids are going to have a bigger impact on your program than another, than other kids are. And so those kids are going to be a lot more highly recruited. And so that relationship has to be developed on a much different level than, 10 kids that you know aren't being recruited by anybody else and they're coming to the school because um, they like you and you've been consistent with your communication with them. And it's a faith, maybe it's a faith-based school and, and I fit there really good, you know? Um, But I think somewhere along the line, it becomes 
system to relationship building and your ability to connect. I think a lot of it goes back to the the timeline. I think that's where a lot of the coaches we see doing a really good job, even ones that are very focused on the numbers that are doing a good job. You know, they are, they're starting earlier. And like Mandy said earlier, they're asking as soon as they're ready for them to say, yes, they're trying to get that commitment. Um, I think a lot of coaches are hesitant. They're like, well, they'll, they'll tell me when they're ready or, you know, we usually don't get answers until March or April or May. And so, you know, we'll see what happens then. Um, you know, coaches that they need to, you know, maybe they need to bring in, you know, a dozen kids. They're, they're doing a good job and they're getting some kids to commit, you know, even that summer before their senior year or earlier. And then in the fall, they're getting a few kids to commit because they're asking. And so by like, you know, Christmas time, New Year's, they have a good idea of like, all right, we, you know, we need a 12. We're already got seven. Um, so we only need five more. And, you know, they also know based on history, like, Hey, we, if we have, you know, if I'm talking to 30 kids, I'm going to get about a third of those kids to actually come visit campus. And then after that, half of those kids are going to commit. And so you can kind of evaluate kind of where you're at and be like, do we, do we actually need to go find some more names? Cause we don't have enough in the pool or are we, are we good where we're at? And we just really need to focus in on personalizing. If you don't really know what you should focus on, you might be focusing on the wrong thing and you're adding too many kids to the list when you don't need to. Um, or you're just, or, or maybe you are really short on numbers and you're going to be really surprised in April. And you're like, well, we're just out. <laughs> Our list ran out and we got nothing left. So I think they're able to evaluate because they're doing things a little bit earlier and not just waiting to kind of just hope it all shakes out and, and comes in their favor. So, um, no, I so think it's key to, yeah. Oh, sorry. Is a uh, last thing I'll add with this is just coaches being okay. Hearing no, you know, is that to me when you got a big funnel at the beginning, what are the things we need to know to make sure they're, you know, to, to let them know they're not a good fit for what we're doing and, you know, yeah, I want to build relationships, but I want to get them down in the funnel and ask great qualifying questions to get kids that aren't going to be a good fit, right, off my list sooner. Because that's where I think coaches, they don't want to hear a no. So we keep everybody on the list and we, you know, speak right down the middle, like we try to be all things to everybody. And you're not, right? Your program's different than other programs in many ways. And that's why I tell coaches all the time, we got to pick a side, Right. We can't be right down the middle because we can, we're not all things to all people like pick a side and be OK being a little polarizing and provide contrast because that contrast, it's not going to be for everybody, but that's OK. Like you're going to get no sooner. But as you're filtering down, you know, you're filtering with a healthy database of kids who really want what you have. So you're increasing the probability you're going to get a better fit later on. But it's just being OK being okay hearing no sooner, I think also helps manage a big, big database right away. Because like you said, Dan, right? When we get no sooner, we have a better feel for, man, we need to probably go out and find more kids because all these kids already said no to me. I got to, you know, but now we know what game we're playing much sooner in the year, which puts you in a better, you know, less desperate situation as the year goes on. Mm -hmm. Don't you feel like kids are more attracted to that singular, that identity in your program too, Mandy? Yep, for sure. Because you speak about it with confidence because it's the truth, right? Instead of trying to be all things to all people and you are you know you're not, you know, you just will, like we talked about earlier, bringing a different energy to it. But yeah, 100%. Wait for everybody. You don't want to it's really hard to trick people to coming, but, you know, you've had, everyone's had those situations where they get the kid that just, it was not a good fit and didn't work out and, you know, look back and see what those, what were the signals you could have looked for earlier and, if we get those in the recruiting process, don't try and say, ah, well, this could be different, you know, be willing to move on, like Mandy said. So, um, 
Well, those covered the first the first two options in this poll, you know, regarding numbers. Um, the third option was, you know, I'm not really worried about numbers. I'm just looking for quality. Just trying to get the best athletes I can find, um, just to improve the level of our team. Um, what what happens when we have this switch? Like, what are coaches able to do, and how does it change their communication when they are no longer just reaching out to the masses and trying to bring in a bunch of kids, but can actually just look at all right, we're at a we have a certain standard, a certain level of our program. Let's recruit above that and see what we can get. How do things change? Our coaches successful when they are doing that. Um, can I go first yeah. on this one, guys? I've got a. I think uh, I think the number one thing is your ability to paint a picture for them of what their how their what their role is going to be in your program. Uh, I heard a great. Uh, I hope. Dan doesn't mind or you guys don't mind if I use a name, but this is a really funny story. And I use this all the time to drive this point home. Uh, I think your ability as a coach to tell your story. And part of that story is how you're going where that kid's role is in your program. Are they a cornerstone in your program that has so much competitive fire that you want to, you want them to be uh, attract other kids into the program with their competitive fire, or are they somebody you see as an all American that because great coaches can see where kids can go away before the kids can see it, where you think you can take them because you can teach and develop and your program's going to be da, 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 da. And I think your ability to paint that picture is, is critical to being able to elevate your, to attract kids to your program. And there's the law of attraction and the energy and all that stuff. But this story is really funny. So last year, Jimmy Dykes is calling a game with Michigan men and Juwan Howard's team is playing and, and he's talking about the recruiting of Juwan's kid. And everybody knew Juwan's kid was a one and done. And so Barn, yeah, Barnes comes into the home and he, he lays out this great development plan. And Jimmy Dykes is telling this story during a game. This great development plan for how he's going to have Juwan's kid ready to play in the NBA. And he lays it all out and he leaves and goes out and, and Juwan's wife turns to him and says, you better show up at our house tomorrow with your development plan or he's going to play for coach Barnes at Tennessee. And so I think that drives that a point home so well that your ability to show what can we do for you and nobody else can do. And I think your ability to do that and that self-belief and that competitive fire you have attracts kids with competitive fire. If you're filled with fear, you're going to attract kids that are filled with fear. And, and I, I think that that is really important in being able to elevate your recruiting. I would say, you know, one of the things that we keep to, you think about how do you get into that better athlete section, you've got to be in the different conversations, right? If, if you're in the conversations with just sort of the people recruiting numbers, you're going to get numbers. If you're in the conversations with the difference makers, you may not get all of them, but that's the only way to get difference makers in your program, right? Like, and you, you, you have to do something to create their interest in you. Um, you know, something that gets them excited to start something. So then you have to have an ability to keep the conversation going. And then you have to have an ability to personalize at the end. Um, you know, I, I always talk a lot about, about with, coaches i'm talking with equalization differentiation and personalization right like you have to show that you're an equal to sort of those best teams where there are other great options you've got to then show how you're different and then you have to personalize it to show them why why it's perfect for you and so that's the the perfect rick barnes story of, of here is my plan for you here's what we're going to do for you 
that's what's going to lead to the decisions, right? Like, so there's, you know, automation for, for mass interest, right? There's effort for creating relationships throughout the process. And then there's, um, you know, personalization that's going to lead to decisions. So I, I think all three of those steps together are really important. I think also you got to get in with the parents, right? Because if you are not at the level that the parent thinks their kid should be playing at, you're not getting the kid. Uh, I think if you, I'm a big believer in every day, let's send an email to connect and build a relationship with somebody because you never know when you're going to need that referral to get in, you know, with somebody that might be playing at a higher level, but getting mom and dad, at least to neutral, being okay to talk with you using referrals. But then I think what changed my recruiting at a few different schools was getting face to face through camp. I don't love camp. And if I didn't have to do another mm -hmm. camp again in my whole entire life, I would be pretty okay with that. Yeah. But it got me face to face with kids that I never ever would have met because my school wasn't the dream. A few of the schools that I've been at have not been the dream schools. Right. And so me coaching, they got to meet me, get my, how I coach and, you know, I could see how they worked well with me and never failed. I got different level of kid. And so, so that's where I just encourage coaches to think bigger and think different because I'm all about you can't work twice as hard and you can't put in twice the amount of work and twice the amount of effort and think that magically you're going to get what you want. Right. You got to take different avenues. And so that's where I think referrals. Who do you know? That might be the person, you know, that, you know, might have a direct contact that could introduce you. How could you get face to face with a person through a camp or whatever, and then get through mom and dad, right? Let's see. Because uh, if you can be talking to the kid and then you got mom and dad on board with it, that's how you can get into the ear of the kid, you know, in multiple different ways. And then I think too, visually, right? What are you showing the kid inside look, you know, through social media, but pictures and videos from your kids on the team? is it's one thing to hear it from us as adults, but I think it's another thing to hear it directly from your team. And you can't burn your team out uh, and use them face-to-face -face all the time, but you can get pictures off their phone and videos off their phone to show these recruits that it's different than, you know, it's a different experience that they might get at other schools. And, you know, that, and then what, like Micah said a few times, that consistency of showing through multiple ways, I think uh, is how I encourage coaches to, to get that next level kid. How can coaches design and build a better story through social media and the website recruiting page they send their prospects to? By working with Preseason. Their team of experts are helping coaches break through the clutter and reach their recruits in a way their competition just can't match. Go to HelloPreseason.com to see how their team of experts are helping college programs tell a better story and build a better program. Yeah, I think we, we talk a lot about how this decision is it's so feeling-oriented, how they feel about the coaches, how they feel about the school. And I think that's where you see a lot of programs when they're swinging for those better athletes. They're competing against schools that are, you know, quote-unquote better, you know, when whether it's academic rankings or just, you know, athletically better facilities, whatever it might be. They're getting some of these kids because the kids feel more comfortable and they can envision, like Mike said, what, what are they going to do for me? How is this going to look? And, you know, if, if the school is, you know, maybe somewhat better on paper, but they're a little bit fuzzy about the, the details of how am I, you know, am I going to fit in with this team? Uh, is the coach really going to like me? Are they, you know, are they telling me the truth? 
it's hard for them to make that commitment. And so I think coaches that can be honest and sincere and, and just lay it out there. Um, I think that that's the big shift that really helps, helps get those athletes. So, um, we've touched on a lot of things that I think kind of address the the fourth option in this poll, which was, you know, not just that we're necessarily looking for just quality, but actually it's like specific needs, um, positions, you know, types of, of athletes that will fit, um, our roles. That was the, the fourth option, which had about 13% responses. Um, any other, you know, strategies or tips for these coaches that, you know, you're competing against, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times it is you're competing against other schools that are just, this, you know, the same on so many levels of we got the best facilities, we got the best, uh, we're, we're highly ranked academically, whenever it is, we're, you know, we're kind of on similar standings in a lot of ways, how are coaches differentiating themselves and getting those kids that really do fit that specific need for their, for their program? You, it's you, you're the difference. That's the bottom line. Your 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 self belief, your energy, your ability to develop players, your ability to connect with parents, recruits. I mean, like you know, one of the things that we teach in our in our workshops that we do, you know, of ten kids you're recruiting, how many of them do you think the parents are telling the kids where not to go to school? Right, that number's. I won't share that, but I mean, doesn't matter. Seven, it's a bunch. Um, so if you think it's not important to be able to connect with the parents, you'd be mistaken. And I think you're, it's you, you're the difference. So many times in the recruiting process, especially when you're recruiting high level McDonald's all Americans in basketball or kids that are being recruited by the top three or four teams in your league, and you need to get to that level. It's you, period. It's not your system of play. You got to paint that picture for them and how they fit, no matter how you play, but it's you. And I think it's important with these kids. I mean, one, I think you got to recruit more of them because you're going to hear no more. You got to be okay with the no's, but you got to recruit more of them. But also you're recruiting them with the intention of maybe you're going to get them on the second time around, right? You might not get them the first time, but you might get them the second time. Uh, I mean, the other thing I would say is, and I'm all about like, how can we ask better questions to get them to share with you what they value and what is important to them? Because ultimately, if we can't figure that out, you know, I think coaches just try to, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I agree with Mike. I think, you know, you are different than other programs and that certainly can help you stand out. But we got to figure out, right, is what do they value? Because it makes no sense for you to share a lot of things about your background as a coach if they don't even care about it. It doesn't matter to them. So I think I think it's usually the coach who does the best job of figuring out what's important. What do they value? Uh, and then not being okay asking great follow-up questions because we all know, right, teenagers today aren't phenomenal on the phone. And usually their first answer when you ask them a question isn't the real answer. So asking follow-up questions, the coach, I think that's more okay doing that will get, you know, get in front and get the attention of these elite athletes and make, give them the impression coach cares about me. And all you're doing is showing up being curious and asking a lot of questions, but I think you got to recruit more of them. Because, right, not everybody's going to be involved with it, but recruit them with the intention of, I'm probably not going to get them the first time, but I might get them the second time, right, when they transfer. Or it's, let's get to the heart of what do they really value and care about? And then we're only sharing relevant information that matters to that kid. 
because that's where I think coaches get nervous. We're trying to sell that top kid. And so we vomit all the information on them within the first few phone calls, hoping that all this information is something's going to click with them. When it's like, no, no, don't sell, just ask. Ask and be curious and then share relevant information that you're finding is important for the kid. Uh, that to me is easier and gets is more productive than just blah, throwing everything at them all at once. I would say this is something that is almost totally different. My thought is recruiting these better kids the conversation is you're going to be recruiting them longer, right? You're going to be a possibility before you're able to contact them. You're going to be consistent through the process. You're going to show up more often. You're going to be more likable. You're going to be more personable. You, I mean, all of those things, it, if you're trying to recruit someone who normally would not come to your school because their talent is greater than, than what you have, it's going to be more effort. You know, that's a, it's a long game, right? It, it's, spending years creating relationships with club coaches for them to believe in you as a possibility. You know, parents grit is going to be something that's involved when you can finally contact them. But how do you create these relationships sort of in their sphere around them before you can create the relationship with them to see you as a realistic option? So I think that the better athletes, if you want to do it, it, there's only a few schools that could be transactional. Here's what we got. It's better than everybody else. You take it you take take the scholarship today or or you don't you know for most of us it's it's how do we continue to see ourselves as an option over a long period of time and ultimately push them or create that create some education so they know how to make a decision to choose you yeah i think especially when you're when you're really trying to fill a need or a role it's not just you know there's 20 different point guards we could take that would be good enough talent wise we're really looking for someone that can be a leader it goes to like what Mandy was saying, you really got to dig and ask questions. I think I talk about two questions that are really, really helpful to ask when you're on the phone or in person with a recruit are what else and why is that? Simple questions, but get them to give more because they're usually not just going to willingly spill their, their whole you know life story and everything that you want to hear. Uh, you got to pry it out from them because they're very nervous, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids that... Um, just aren't used to talking to adults as much and so you got to be the one to ask questions and simple questions like that can really help well guys thanks for for jumping on coach uh thank you for listening we will give our email addresses in the show notes here so if you have any questions and want to contact us you can um and uh, we look forward to having you on the next podcast college recruiting weekly is a production of tutor collegiate strategies copyright 2023 and 2024 to contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. Also, remember to rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, tell your fellow coaches about the show. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.